Well, welcome to St. Thomas. Again, really pleased that you've chosen to be part of the social event of the season. And our speaker now, who is going to, if, if I'm sure you know, how many of you know Kathy Hollowell, just out of curiosity? So, the, so you already know what treats you're getting. For those of you who don't, just a few words about her. Kathy is a former tabloid journalist. In fact, there was a time when if you were going down uh, to the subway in London, you saw her picture plastered to the, uh, the escalator walls. Kathy has traveled extensively with the likes of Muhammad Ali and Bob Hope. She has been the guest of the Queen, and she beyond that is just a hoot. So I hope you will really enjoy whatever Kathy has to say, because one never knows. She will tell us about the upcoming royal <laughs> wedding and, frankly, whatever else she'd like to. So Kathy, thank you for being here. I never know what he's going to say. <laughs> I love him dearly, but I never know what he's going to say. Okay. I'm Kathy Hollowell, here. And I got one of these ear mics that's going berserk because I've got very small ears, sorry. Uh, but when I was in London, I was Kathy Cousins. And Muhammad Ali did his commercial for me, and he said, when Kathy Cousins has a hunch, watch it, man, she don't pull no punch. <laughs> How did I ever get to be a journalist? Well, I was 16 years old, and I decided that that was what I wanted to be. And so I went to a friend of mine who was a journalist, and I said, How do I do this? And he said, you write to as many newspapers as possible. And I tried that, and that didn't work. So I stood next to a man at a cocktail party, and I said, OK, how do I do this? And he said, just write to this person. And so I became a reporter on a weekly newspaper in Brighton. And I was indentured. I was articled. And for the first six months, they could have fired me for nothing. And after that, every year, for three years, I went to journalism college. Actually, this is the best way to ever learn a trade. And in those days, journalism was a trade. Not quite sure what it is now. <laughs> but anyway, off I went. And I went to college for three months. And I went to work for three months for six months, nine months, and then what happened? If I got a B on my card at school, they fired me. I didn't get a B. I actually cheated a bit, but we won't talk about that. <clears throat> this was 1968. What can I tell you? A lot of stuff went on. OK, we got a royal wedding going on. And that's why we've got hats on. Why do British women wear these extraordinary hats to weddings? Because we get married in the morning. And we get married at church. So you wear a hat, okay? And it kind of got a little out of control. <laughs> I have been to one wedding where, and it was a relative, where my hat was like, yay, and my girlfriend hat, who I hadn't seen for years, was yay, and we couldn't find out how to kiss each other. <laughs> we sort of went like that. And if you look at videos of um, Camilla and Her Royal Highness kissing, they sort of air kiss from over here <laughs> to over here. Well, presiding bishop, Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry is going to preach at the wedding. Have you ever seen any of Michael Curry's preachings? This could be good. <laughs> but it is a sign that this wedding is going to be a little bit different. He, Harry, it's Harry. Come on, he's the bad boy. Bad boy, ginger-haired Harry 
is marrying a divorced American biracial model -y actress person. How different could you be? I'm just, I would love, I don't want to go to the wedding. I'm so glad I'm not involved in all of the stuff that goes on before the wedding. But I would love to be at the party at Frogmore House for 200 people, because that's going to be a wing dinger. Uh, and, you know, the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen will not be at that. Well, they might be at the very beginning, but they'll sort of ease their way. She's 92. He's 96. He's just had a hip operation. Did you see any of the things of the pictures of him when they were having a group picture of the whole family? Oh, expletive delete, take the expletive delete picture, he said. Very loudly. <laughs> he is not a patient man. The wedding will take place at Windsor. It'll take place in St. George's Chapel, which is absolutely gorgeous, and the sound is superb, and it will be so much better than having it either at Westminster Abbey or at St. Paul's Cathedral, because the sound is fabulous. And we will hear and see everything, which is kind of cute and all down to Her Majesty the Queen because of what she said about her coronation. She wanted her coronation to be seen by everybody. Now Winston Churchill and Aniron Bevan, well Aniron Bevan more than Winston Churchill said, but men in pubs will see it, and they'll have caps on. Well, I'm sorry, but back in that day, I don't know a single pub in Britain that actually had a television, probably a wireless, and they would have taken their caps off, as they still do. Meghan is 37, Harry is 34, they will have 600 guests. The service will be conducted by the Dean of Windsor, David Connor, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin will do the whole of the service. No, they are not going to have lots of siblings following them. They will have the little children. And we all know how captivating small children can be at weddings. And this lot are going to go out wildly. I mean, we've got Charlotte, she's going to be a head case. We've got George, who's in charge. We've got about eight of them, is my reckoning. And they will be there with their flowers and, and all their pretty outfits. And Kate will be thinking, oh my gosh, what are they going to do next? But she is quite used to it. There will be 600 at the wedding. Now, outside the, guest, outside the church itself will be somewhere in the region of 1,800 invited guests. And I know that sounds funny to you. How do you invite invited guests to stand outside? There is a reason for this. Every single one of those will be from a charity. And they will all be thanked for being there by being guests, and they will all get first-class seats. How about that? And that's one of the things that the royals are extremely good at. Why is the royal family so important? Is it, oh, it's not just important to you and I. I mean, we just watch it on television. But why is it important to Britain? Well, first of all, if you actually want to know how much the royal family costs the taxpayer, 64 pence a year. That's all. 64 pence a year to the average taxpayer in the United Kingdom. 
The fact that they bring in 800 million pounds, nobody ever talks about that, do they? They bring in a huge amount of money. Uh, the Queen actually owns Balmoral. She owns Sandringham. She now owns May because the Castle of May, because that belonged to her mother. I remember giving a talk about the Queen Mother when she was 100. That was her hoot. She was 100 years old and had had four rehearsals of her funeral. <laughs> One of the problems about having the funeral things is that, first of all, when the Queen dies, it will go out as London bridges down. When Churchill died, it was Operation Hope Not. When Prince Philip goes down, it will be Operation Fourth Bridge. When the Queen Mother went down, it was Operation Tay Bridge. Now, Tay Bridge has actually already been done. That was Diana's funeral. They used the whole thing for Diana. So at least the Queen Mother got to see what she was going to look like. <laughs> I do know, because I know the man who asked this question, she came downstairs, the backstairs, after the fourth rehearsal of her funeral. And the Queen Mother said to the Captain of Arms, how did I do? <laughs> he said, you did very well, ma'am, until we got to a one-way street, and they've altered it, but we're fine now. <laughs> Every single member of the royal family coming in has baggage. Meghan Markle has baggage. Bless her heart, she does. And she also has a stepsister, no, half-sister, a half-sister who has already written a book, and it's called Princess Pushy. <laughs> Don't worry about it. If she's got any guts, she will talk to Kate, and Kate will tell her, Don't worry, darling. I had an uncle called Uncle Gred, who has a man mansion in Ibiza, and that was called La Maison de Bang Bang. <laughs> also, Ma Meghan Markle, bless her heart, has an ex-husband, he only lasted two years, um, who is working on a movie which strangely has a wife who falls in love with a prince. Oh, what a strange debacle from normal things that he seems to have had in his thing. Anyway. Don't worry about it, they will survive. There will be 200 to party at Frogmore House. Fergie apparently hasn't been invited. Um, the whole Fergie thing is going to come into place in October because Eugene is going to get married. So that's going to be Fergie's step into the twilight. No, not the twilight, the other one. She's been in the twilight for a while. But I, you do realize that she actually lives with Prince Andrew, do you? They all live in the same house. Um, he can't ask for permission to marry her until after this wedding. And then he'll be number eight. And he doesn't have to ask for his mother's permission anymore. So he might ask her to marry him. I mean, they've been together a heck of a long time, and they were obviously good when they were married. I did a really ridiculous story when that whole Fergie thing blew up. The Daily Express phoned me up, and they said, um, can you get hold of Oscar Wyatt? And I thought, have you ever tried to get hold of the Wyatts? No. First of all, there is River Oaks Country Club 
There is where the Wyatts live. There's huge fence. And they have security guards. They have more security guards than the royals. They have security guards all the way around. So I said, well, I don't think so, but I'll try. So I go trembling around. I break my way through onto River Oaks Country Club by chatting to the guard guy. You know, there's a very strange thing about Americans. If you are British, take this off just to show you. If you are British and you carry a clipboard, and you look important and sound important, they let you in anywhere. <laughs> when the Queen came to Houston, I think Sarah, my daughter Sarah was about four, something like that. And I said, OK, I'm going to take you down to see the Queen. Oh, yes, Mummy. OK, so off we go. And I'm carrying a clipboard, which she has no idea why I'm carrying a clipboard. And I walk all the way up to you know the civic buildings and all the rest of it. And I stand there with this little girl who's all dressed up. And I'm carrying my clipboard. No one, no one asked me a question. No one said, who are you? Not so. Do you think the Queen carries ID? She doesn't even have a passport. Now, all the rest of the royal family have passports, I promise you. But the Queen doesn't have a passport. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun if she sort of got to, well, she doesn't even go through the passport area, but if she did, if she went through the passport area, wouldn't it be fun if she sort of showed them a 50 pence piece and said, that's me? <laughs> or she could show them a five pound note or a 10 pound. I have a really good idea. I think on the 50 pence piece, she should be wearing her dressing gown and curlers. And on the 50 pound piece, she should be in her tiara. <laughs> because it all goes up, doesn't it? I have always, always been very fond of the royal family. And there is a family excuse for that. I was born and bred in Crickhowell in Breconshire. Now, Crickhowell is on the side of the Brecon Beacons. And most of the land around there is part of the Glenusk estate. The Glenusque estate is owned by Viscountess Delisle. Now it was before her, Lady Glenusque. Well, that's exactly where Prince Charles, the Princess Royal, Andrew, and Edward always went to play. Because all the people around there, we, when I was a teenager, Charles is two years older than I am. When I was a teenager, he used to fly over in his little red helicopter because he was going to the Van Cutsons or he was going to Viscount Delisle's. It's where they went to play and fish. It's countryside. What I, it's hard for you to understand, and I do understand it's hard for you to understand because it's, it seems so different so completely way away. But we're very used to the royal family. We grew up with them. We have watched them. I had to wear the same damn shoes as Princess Anne. You know, because they were the only shoes you could get in the 1950s, for goodness sake. Don't laugh, you wore them too. <laughs> but it's just a case of we've watched them grow up we know what they think. We're not astonished by anything that they do. I have a lovely, lovely old friend in Crickhowell called Jimmy Devoy. Jimmy Devoy tells this story of one day, well, Jimmy used to be a poacher, and then they made him a gamekeeper. <laughs> it's really, they did. So they made him a gamekeeper, so he's going through the Glenusk estate, and he's looking for poachers because it's a beautiful, the Usk River is gorgeous and it's full of salmon and people like to poach it. Well, he goes along to this one area 
And there's a tree, and there's a man, and he's got a cigarette back in the day. He's got a cigarette, and he's leaning against the tree, and there's a man in the river. And Jimmy knows there's not supposed to be anybody in the river right now. So he's looking at the man, and the man's going, well, Jimmy's fairly sharp, but he's not the brightest spark, otherwise he wouldn't have been a poacher in the first place. But anyway, he's looking, and the man's going, and Jimmy's getting nearer and nearer, and the man's going, Jimmy went to shout, the man went, so the whole thing's getting stupid. And then, the man against the tree with the cigarette comes forward and goes, now, if you go fly fishing, you don't look very elegant, do you? Not that I've ever been fly fishing, although it's been promised it's going to happen this spring. Anyway, this man in the river was very baggy. He had sort of baggy stuff on his head. And he was obviously an extremely good fisherman because he was hiking these things up like mad. And finally, he got a little bit nearer, and the man turned round. It was the Queen Mother. <laughs> One time, my brother, Brian, who was a, a volunteer fireman, local businessman, local fireman, um, actually the mayor, and all sorts of other things, very small village, um, he got a call from the police to say there were hooligans, and they were abseiling down the side of this cliff into a pool. And so he got in a Land Rover and went up to this big pool, which is on the side of a mountain, and he thought, I don't think I'll do anything about it, but I might say something. So he went up to the man who was sitting here, and he said, do you think you could get William and Harry to put helmets on? <laughs> After all, we didn't want them dead before they were 18. The Prince of Wales himself gets much maligned over here. You don't like him because of Diana. Oh, do please forget Diana. She's gone 20 years ago. But you don't have to forget her, but just don't put her on that lovely pedestal that she was on. The Prince of Wales has worked extremely hard since 1976, setting up something called the Prince of Wales Trust. And the Prince of Wales Trust has put tens of thousands of young people into their own businesses. It's um, a company to help vulnerable people get back on their feet. And he has been absolutely right in the front of it all the time. The one thing that you have to consider is that the royal family aren't just there to drive around in coaches and live in castles and all the rest of it. They are the British ambassadors supreme. They only have to wear something and it's sold up. Good Lord, Meghan Markle has done more for the British design industry this year. When she, every time she wears a handbag or a pair of shoes, they've gone. Absolutely. And Kate, every baby that was wrapped in every single little wrappy thing, they're gone. You know, and I mean, not only they're gone, but then you have to buy them at twice the price next time you buy them. They will be the fab four. They already are. Uh, whatever happens in Harry's marriage, I think he has chosen extremely well. Because what he's done, he's got outside the box. Now, is that unusual? Mm, no. 
The royal family weddings, going well back, royal family weddings were all about joining countries. And this was way before, you know, any kind of union. The royal family weddings, if you go centuries and centuries ago, were all about, okay, well, we need a bit of, we need, we need Spain, okay, let's get Spain in. All right, well, we need Greece, let's get Greece in. It wasn't about intermarriage, it was about preventing war. And that's exactly what it was about. So, it will be a very good idea for him to marry Meghan Markle. James I, anybody got their Bible anywhere near them? Oh, you think this royal family that we have now is interesting? Go back in your history books. James I, the authorized Bible, James I had porphos, which meant his tongue hung out of his mouth. Very attractive character. Um, he also was gay, but he had nine children with Anne of Denmark. She must have been an extremely interesting person. <clears throat> anyway, James I decided that he wanted to have the authorized um, Bible done, and he did, and, and more power to him, which is a Bible that I love. But he, he had so many interests. My husband asked me this morning, he said, how did all the houses get done? You know, why are there so many earls and viscounts and dukes? I said, ah, well, First of all, James I um, had loads of lovers, and he gave each one of them a house. Now, his absolute favorite lover was uh, George Villiers, and George Villiers became the Earl of Buckingham and was given just a small thing, Buckingham Palace. So it's, it's just like, okay, who got what? Ooh. Uh, Charles II actually followed after his father, and he also had the same relationship. It must have been a very strong character, George Villiers. He had the same relationship with George Villiers. So, and he also had 13 illegitimate children, of which the Spencers is a line. So we've got Diana down here, already in the family. The fun thing about royals is that they, they just keep on going, don't they? I mean, I, couldn't, I can't run out of stories because they just keep on flowing. I was very, very fortunate as the columnist for the Daily Star to be invited to the royal wedding, the royal wedding, yes, um, which is no more, um, of Charles and Diana. And somewhere is Caroline Judy wearing the hat I wore. Where are you? Okay, there's the hat. <laughs> And if you look at, at any old videos, I'm somewhere way back on the left-hand side. I will tell you something about royal weddings. They are awful to cover. Absolutely terrible. Because first of all, you have to be in your place like five o'clock in the morning. Secondly, there are very few restrooms. And thirdly, you have to get your copy to the newspaper. And still look like this. And it's not fun. So I'm really glad that I don't have to do that anymore. Why don't I have to do that anymore? Well, I was coming back from a little R&R &R before the royal wedding, and I met a man on the airplane. And we were married 
10 days later in Reno. <laughs> and yes, I am still married to him. <laughs> but that is exactly how I sort of, it's like, really? What happened? I walked into the newsroom and I said, okay, um, I'm going to do the royal wedding and then I'm going, bye. And they, they all thought it was... The, the funny thing was that Don had said to me on the plane, he said, you're so normal. And when I think about it, I think, who the heck did you ever go out with before me? Because <laughs> I told the people... I told the, the really funny one was the sports editor who I'd known for a long time. He'd been in rehab four times. And I said what Don said, and he said, should we write him a letter or something? Uh, no, no, keep out of it, keep out of it. But anyway, that is how I actually managed to end up here. During the time I was a journalist, I loved to go on foreign trips. Who wouldn't? The interesting thing about Fleet Street editors is they're not very bright. Honestly, they really aren't. Um, the Queen is a woman, have you noticed, right? So if she's going to go to the Middle East, oh, well, we're, we're going to send 48 men, said all the newspapers. Luckily, Peter Grimsditch sent me, because I was the only one that was ever allowed to go anywhere with her. Because in the Middle East, you can't send a man into the same room as a woman. I had a lovely time in the harem. That was sweet. They had all these chairs against the wall. You can't sit with your back to anybody, right? And you can't put your foot up or do anything rude like that. So we all sat in the walls, right? right? And then the queen was up here, as if she's on the altar, which she almost was. Well, she's five foot two. She takes, in American sizes, a size three, five in England, something like that. Anyway, she was up there trying to put her feet on the floor because they were very high chairs. And they were, it was a bit like being in gallery furniture. You know, the chairs were huge. And we all sat against the wall because we couldn't sat next to each other. There was only one problem. This was in Abu Dhabi, which is where Sheikha Fatima had her harem and the queen was invited. Now, the queen has never, ever in her entire life been late. Never. So we waited. Now, the ladies of the harem, I feel like I'm doing a Michael Flanders and Donald Swan song, right? The ladies of the harem of the king of Quicken. Anyway, they, we were all sitting there, and where was Sheikha Fatima? Well, the doors burst open, and she literally legged it into the harem, carrying a Harrods bag. And I thought, well, that was a quick shop, wasn't it? Weird? Did she go shopping for the queen? Who goes shopping for the queen? Right. So anyway, she came in, and she's, the queen was very gracious and didn't tell her off. So she sat next to the queen, and they talked about their grandchildren, which was lovely. And then we all sort of twittered. It's, it's very odd being in a harem, because if you're next to somebody like that, you can only sort of twitter, 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 like that. And it, it sounds like a load of birds. Anyway, it wasn't wasn't the most fun thing. Oh, and then we all had to stay there because one photographer, a male, of course, had legged it over the fence and was being chased by men with camel whips. And we had to wait until he got chased out. And that was the end of that. Um, the, the best, best part of that royal trip, which will never be done again, as far as I can see, um, was that I was presented to Her Majesty the Queen on board Britannia. And I'd get my invitation. And I thought, 
Now, you have to remember that there's 48 men and me, right, on this whole thing. So I get my invitation, and I look at the clothes that I've got, and it's come out of a suitcase, and I had some Hardy Amis stuff, and I thought, oh, that, that, that'd be all right. I can wear that. And some fool had told me that if you steam it in the hotel, you know, get the creases out. There was no iron, right? I'm in an Arab hotel somewhere um, in Kuwait, and I have to get this done. If now I would press a button and say, can you get this iron for me, please? I didn't have the nounce then. I wasn't old enough. So anyway, I got this whole thing steamed, and I put it on, and I look at the invitation, and it says, I have to be at Britannia at 9.30, right? Fine. So off I go, and the men are awful. I mean, they've gone. So I go, and there's this little map on the back, and it tells me how to get to Britannia. That's fine. Okay, good. And so off I go, and then there's this, you know, thing I have to walk up with naval ratings on either side, and they're all piping, and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous, and I'm walking up. And then... Then your heart drops down to your guts because right in front of you, sitting on a chair, is Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip. And all the silliness and all the things you've ever joked about and all the things you've ever seen on television or read anywhere fall out of your head because there she is. And you, for the one and only time in your entire life, only happens once, are to be presented to her by this chap in uniform on the right-hand side. And I'm getting there, there's somebody in front of me, and all of a sudden, I blank. I cannot remember how to curtsy. I didn't do ballet, you know, and I'm going, I look like I'm going to the loo, you know. <laughs> and a naval rating, bless his heart, he was all of 18, leant forward and he said, right behind left, ma'am. <laughs> and I did it. I still to this day remember how absolutely terrified I was and how I looked into the face and the blue eyes of Her Majesty the Queen. I will never forget that, ever. Later on that evening, because it's supposed to be informal. How on earth do you do informal? But we are not allowed to take cameras or notebooks or recorders of any kind. As far as they're concerned, this is your informal meeting with Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip. So I forgot to tell you about the outfit, right? So I did steam it. <clears throat> Rumor has it, it was still a little bit damp <laughs> by the time Prince Philip was talking to me, which may have been why he talked to me for longer than normal. <laughs> the Queen is very perceptive. She understands all that's going on around her. She doesn't take fools easy. She's a very good mimic. We all know that. And she is so clever at finding out stuff. During that long, I mean, it was over three, three weeks that we were in the Middle East. During that long trip, I got what could only be called deli belly. And there was a knock at my door, my hotel door, and there was um, Dr. Norman, Who's the, who was at that stage the Queen's physician. And he had this little file of pink tablets. And I said, hello, yeah, I'm like this. Hello. And he, he said, take one now, take one in four hours, take one in the morning, you'll be fine. And I said, how, what are they? He said, don't ask, just take them. I don't know what they were. I really don't care. I was so fit by the next day, I would love to know what they were. <laughs> All I know is that, do you realize how hard the royal family work? They, 
I mean, I was a lot younger then. Dear God, I was about almost 40 years old, the younger. But now, for what? The Queen's 90th birthday, they had that long thing that went down the Thames. It was pissing down with rain, right? It's cold. It's rainy. It's ugly weather. And there's Philip. And there's the Queen. And they never sat down once. Not once. And when... I think it, you know, about two days later, he went in because he wasn't feeling sort of, his kidneys did a bit of a, a what's-it on him. And I reckon he probably said, I've had enough of it. <clears throat> i got to go to the bathroom. And then found he couldn't, so he went to hospital. But they never sit down. I have lots of lots of records of when Margaret Thatcher Oh, that was a fun relationship. When Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister with the Queen, and they, the, the Queen would watch her at the side of her eye and say, she cratered. How do I know that? We had people who lip-read everything they said. I mean, unlike the sports guys who hold their, you know, so you can't see what they're saying. I mean, we had people whose whole job was to see what they said. <laughs> there was this long, long thing where the, the Queen and Prince Philip were both in their sort of late 80s and they're doing all this thing and they open so many things and they inspect so many things and they shake so many hands and she never sits down. She just doesn't sit down. And so... We have this lip-read thing of, of Prince Philip saying, don't worry, Bunny, we'll be home soon. <laughs> the real love match, isn't it, between Prince Philip... Oh, you've all watched The Crown. <laughs> I can tell, otherwise you wouldn't be here. You've all watched The Crown. I'd, yeah, okay, it's all right. I wish they had chosen somebody better to play Philip because Philip was A, 100% better looking and B, 100% more upright. They had this guy who sort of, what was, what was this thing that he was always sort of slightly head on one side? It drove me scatty. I was yelling at the, tel at the television the whole time. Prince Philip, oh, another Middle Eastern trip story. Okay, so we are in Oman. We go to Oman, and it is 130 degrees. Houston, you've got nothing on Oman. So we're out there, and we're in the desert, and I have no clue why we're there, but it must be something to do with oil. Oh, and then we go in a helicopter. The Queen didn't have to do this. Apparently, the, um, and he wasn't called the Sheikh of Oman, he was the King of Oman. So the King of Oman had this helicopter because he wanted to show us his rose gardens. He had planted six acres of roses way out there in the desert, which looked really silly in all honesty because nobody could see them, but except for him. So what we did was we got into these helicopters. Now, Helicopters, you're supposed to get in and close the door. No, they don't have those. They have the helicopters where you have four people strapped around their waists, hanging off the side like this. So we saw his damn roses, okay? So we get back in and we get up to this area where there is lots of people from oil companies. That was it, oil. So we get up there, lots of people from oil companies, and then the people in charge put Her Majesty the Queen in the car, their car. Well, Philip had taken off his jacket and he'd rolled his sleeves up. It's 130 degrees. And also, there was a really weird thing in the Middle East that they didn't quite know what to do with him because if she was queen, she was a he, and if she was a he, he was a 
What was he? <laughs> the Duke of Edinburgh? Anyway, so they got in to the car and they shot off at 120 miles an hour across the desert. The Queen likes to drive fast, but not be driven that fast. So we then jumped into a car. So there's me, Prince Philip, Norman Lucas from the Express, Jimmy Luthwaite from the Sun, and we go at 120 miles an hour too across the desert with what could only be called a naval rating expletive delete husband. Because <laughs> that's how he reverted. He did not sound good. The whole thing, I have no clue the time. Nat, tell me the time. <laughs> I told you I'd go to the I got to tell you one funny story about my last story about the Middle East, and then I will tell you a quick Muhammad Ali story. Okay, so in the Middle East, they have this thing of red carpets, right? Red carpet, throw it down, it's Kuwait, and here comes Concord, remember her? The royal family sells stuff. So here comes Concord, and it's got the Queen and Prince Philip in it, and we've arrived by Dan Air, which we call Dan Dare, because it was awful. And we're standing over here being guarded by men with camel whips. And then here comes Concord, and there's this red carpet, and a little boy with a, a dusty thing, right? He's got his, got his job. He's getting the sand off the dust thing. So here comes Concord, and it goes all the way over here. Now, here are the ambassadors standing in line. Very, very clever people, ambassadors, but not quite so quick on their feet. So they realize something's gone wrong. Concord's there. Red carpet is there. So they pick the red carpet up, and they put it over here. And then Concord Pilot does what he's supposed to do, and he goes backwards. <laughs> and he parks it there. And they all, very good ambassadors, I must admit, they all came up and they pulled it all away, and the man with the little dishy thing came out and did this. And after all of that, and she watched it through the window. <laughs> the whole thing was watched through the window. So please don't think she has no sense of humor. She has a huge sense of humor. I have promised all these wonderful tea ladies who have done this that I will never do this to you again. But I have many stories to tell. So what we're going to do before Eugene gets married in October is let's do cocktails with Kathy. Then we don't have to do all that tea stuff. <laughs> and you can wear all sorts of stuff. But anyway, uh, for the boys that I told I would say the Muhammad Ali thing, um, I went on a three-week trip with Muhammad Ali uh, because he did my commercial. And he was very big and very gentle, and he loved to dance. Uh, he's highly dyslexic, so he could not learn a speech, so what he did was he, di he taped it to himself, and then the boys at the back would give him the time off things to tell him when to stop. Um, he loved to dance, he was wicked, he did not like to be hurt. And we did, last story, we went to Brussels where he was putting on, this was exhibition alley. This wasn't fighting alley. We went to Brussels and we walked in and the guy was there and oh, you know, he was going to do his exhibition stuff with Muhammad Ali. Um, he landed a punch. Uh-oh, indeed. Because I would sit right next to Ali and Ali just went <laughs> like that. I've never seen anybody fly before. It was quite extraordinary. 
he sort of went, meow, but Ali taught me one thing very, very well. He was superb with people. He didn't ever, ever turn anyone away. And he talked to every single human being who ever approached him. And I think, you know, yeah, he used to drive his gold bus through Los Angeles picking up prostitutes and then taking them to church. <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to all make sure you buy some raffle tickets because I have some books out there that you cannot sell in the UK because they were, um, they're not for sale. And I would really, really love you to buy some raffle tickets. I thank you all for coming. You have been absolutely great. And cocktails with Kathy in October. Okay, this is a very dangerous thing, but Kathy's meant to go till four, and that means there's 10 minutes for questions that oh, she's not anticipating. Questions. Um, when did I get, oh, Marilyn's question is, when did I get the giggles with the Duke? Was it, well, because he accused me of, well, because I had the outfit on that was slightly, hmm, I forgot you knew that story. Uh, <laughs> Marilyn's a very good friend of mine. I got the giggles because he was, um, he talked to me for a long time, and, and in those days, I was a very buxom Marilyn Monroe blonde. So I think he was just flirting, and I did get the giggles, but um, good to remember, huh? I think that you were going to tell us a little bit more about Charles and Diana's wedding, and then, weren't you a bit? Yeah, uh, whatever you want to know. Um, the, the thing about Charles and Diana's wedding was because it was in um, Canterbury Cathedral, it was, we had to be in our places extremely early. Um, I had to be in my place by 5 a.m. Uh, and, and so it, it just, we knew certain things would go right, and we were wondering. Um, I was a little bit worried about Earl Spencer because I didn't know if he'd get down the aisle, quite honestly. Um, he'd uh, had a little reputation then, let's just say, for, for a little too much gin on many occasions, so... Um, I, I was just hoping he would get down to the end of the aisle, you know. I, I was sorry about that wedding. I, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right when we were there. You know, and, I mean, if you go to something where people start to lay bets about how long it's going to last before it's even happened, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. And do not blame Camilla. By the way, she definitely did not spoil that affair. Oh, hello, daughter. <laughs> she gave her friend a present of cufflinks, which he wore on the day of the wedding, which, yes, he, did, he was being stupid, wasn't he? I mean, who would do that? Their initials. <laughs> yes, he gave her, you know, he wore the he wore the cufflinks and he's probably got, you know, 300 sets of cufflinks and he wore the ones that Camilla gave him on the day he was married. So, yeah, not a good sign. I don't think I would have married him at that stage. Betty Oh, she says very little. Uh, she already knows who you are. Um, it's not so much an audience as a presentation. So your name is said and who you are and you curtsy. Um, 
And she, she just sort of basically, I mean, they don't say very much half the time, so it's sort of like, thank you for coming. And, but she did speak to me on board, you know, afterwards on board Britannia. And, and then she asked me, you know, the, 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 the questions are very bland, quite honestly, you know, are you enjoying the tour? Um, is there anything that you've seen that we haven't seen? You know, Philip's much more out there. You know, I mean, at that stage, the paper that I was working for was having um, uh, nudes on page five, and he wanted to know if they were going to be in color any day soon. You know. <laughs> oh, I did have fun. I, the, one, the one place that I did go to with Philip that, that was, what was fun was a souk in, uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, and we were looking at all this stuff. The royals never carry any money, ever. And so he's looking at all this stuff, and I said, well, I want to buy something. And he said, don't look at me. And I, <laughs> you know, they're just stuff. Come on, people, give me some questions. Ah, David. About what? The Murdoch family's effect on reporting. I don't think that it's had as much effect as you would perhaps think. Um, it, the one thing that we used to have a thing called ranters online, and we used to old sort of Fleet Street hacks, as I call myself. We, we would write stories that, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. Like one time I dismantled a telephone and, you know, things you do. Um, well, it's before cell phones and the guy was running up the road to use it and I thought, oh, you're not having this little mouthpiece. Um, you know, think, but we stopped doing ranters because that whole Murdoch thing blew up, and therefore we could have all ended up in court. So I suppose in the UK it did have an effect, yes. It has no effect. Do not confuse paparazzi photographers with genuine newspaper photographers and reporters. It's a completely... Paparazzi are... They're just winging it. You can be a paparazzi photographer. Natalie, you're a paparazzi photographer. If you take a picture of something and sell it to somebody, that's what paparazzi is. You could just earn money doing it. So if we do uh, cocktails with Kathy in October, what other uh, celebrity, older celebrity, whatever coverage have you done that we can report to? Well, first of all, we've got the whole Fergie thing. Um, uh, let me think. Um, Andy Williams, Oliver Reed. Uh, yeah, you may love it all up. You haven't heard the story yet, David. Um, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Well, a long time ago, she had a tremendous influence on fashion. Don't forget the woman is now 92. Uh, why does she wear extremely bright clothes? So you can see her in the melee of everybody else. So she wears lime green and bright orange and pepper pink and all sorts of things. But as far as fashion is concerned, um, she's never meant to be a fashion icon. But if you look back at... She was so beautiful. She was absolutely beautiful. Um, the person who plays her on the crown is nowhere near as good looking. And she, you know, she, she only wanted to be a country woman with horses and dogs and 
lots of children and things. But yes, she has had an influence in, in many ways in that the color, I think the, co the whole color thing that she can wear, that, you know, how many 92-year-olds do you know who can wear lime green? Now they have the Queen's permission to go out there and stop wearing something drab. Get out there and wear a lime green or bright orange or whatever. She uh, is, they are leaders of fashion in their own generation. And uh, at least like the men, they don't have to wear all the medals. All that stuff. I w you know, the wedding is going to be full uniform. Oh, I needed to tell you that when, and I don't want him to go anytime soon, but when Prince Philip goes, that is a full military funeral at Windsor. That will not be done in central London. Um, he's already asked for that, and I don't blame him either. Any other questions? Well, we, we're at the end of our program time, actually, so that otherwise we would keep you here all day. But huge hand for Kathy Hollowell. <laughs> and of course, for all of our volunteers who made some really, truly lovely uh, tea and dessert. What I'd like to do, if you bought a raffle ticket, I'd like to announce the winners and then also invite you to join a docent tour of the icon. So if you want to get your uh, tickets out, first I will tell you all the blue winners. Prizes can be picked up, obviously, on your way out. So blue tickets first, then red. Uh, the winner of the charm bracelet, number two, that's blue ticket 873382. 873-382. The winner of the queen book with the candle, that's blue ticket 872-892. 872-892. The winner of tea for two canister and mug, that's blue ticket 873-060. 873-060. The winner of mug and tea sign, that's blue ticket 873-064. Once again, 873-064. The winner of the candy tin and two tea books is blue 872-821, 872-821. The winner of the Chinese tea set, 873-254, 873-254. The winner of the African violet, 873-397, 873-397. The winner of the trivet, sachet, and cross, 873-460, 873-460. The winner of the serving spoons and bird dish, 873-048, 873-048. Uh, the winner of the pashmina and angel is blue ticket 873-012, 873-012. The winner of the cats. A very coveted item, I can tell you. That is blue 873-213. 873-213. And now there are several blue winners of floral centerpieces. The following tickets are winners. 873 873-009. 873-031. 873-031. 873-046. That's Eight seven three four one eight, eight seven two eight two five, eight seven two eight two five, and our last blue winner eight seven two eight six zero, eight seven two eight six zero. Those are all of our blue winners. Now I'll briefly announce the red winners. So if you have red tickets, the British Tea Party item number one eight six eight six six four. That's red eight six eight six six four. The purse charm. Red, 
868-658. The Queen Book and the Mug, read 869-375, 869-375. The Tivana Tea and Infuser, 868-909, 868-909. The Hummingbirds, 868-854, 868-854. The Vera Bradley Apron and Flower Vase, read 868-916. 868916. The Chinese Tea Party is read 869132. 869132. And the final winners are the red, uh, the floral center pieces. There are a few winners here. They are red tickets only. 869034. Actually, they all start with 869, so I'll just call the last three. 034. Next winner, 060. 060. 072, 072, 082, 082, 135, that's 135, 158, 158, 162, 162, 166, 166, 167, 167, 312, 312, 317, 317, 369, 369. Oh, and then there is 868, 857, 368, 857. And the final winner, 868, 908. 868, 908. Thank you for joining us at St. Thomas today. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Always welcome to worship with us on Sundays. If you'd like to tour the art, you can simply.